are looking for three uh, leader and host homes that would be willing to open up your home to a group of eight to ten people that would be ready to go through a eight-week uh, October-November uh, connection group study. We will be giving you the tools. You won't be starting from scratch. We'll be helping you. Uh, it won't, won't just leave you to do your own thing. But we are excited about this as we look at our, our small groups being a way that we not only connect, but in a way that we build relationship with one another. So would you please, uh, if that is something that you feel like you can do in opening your home and leading one of these three groups, we have three that we would like to start, would you please let the office know or one of our pastors know, and then we will uh, take it from there. So be aware of that. Obviously, there's lots of other things coming. This fall, uh, we are going to be focusing on something new for the new year, and I'm going to give you just a little glimpse of what it is. It's our uh, uh, mission statement, and that is one life at a time. Sometimes when you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about uh, having it affect uh, your world, your sphere of influence that God has given you, sometimes it can be overwhelming to know, God, where do I start? And we're going to be talking about the fact that it's one life at a time. That's where you start. Whomever God has placed before you at the moment, whether God has placed them there maybe for several uh, minutes, maybe only uh, a minute or two, but whatever it is, uh, God has called you to be a minister to that one life at a time. Amen? So uh, that will be coming this fall. We are in our series on the miracles of Jesus. Next week, I'll be wrapping up that series and we'll be uh, getting ready for the fall. But today, we're uh, going to look at a passage of scripture that is just uh, absolutely awesome as we look at the miracles of Jesus. And so as we get ready to do that, I want to ask you to uh, lift up your Bibles. Before you do that, though, I just want to mention, if you're a visitor here, before you, there is a connection card. We would love to have you fill out this connection card. It gives us not only a chance for us to connect with you, we have a gift we'd like to give to you. Uh, that we'll send to you. So if you uh, would fill one of those connection cards out, and then as you're headed out, any of these three doors at the back, there's a little basket. You can just drop that connection card in there. We would greatly appreciate that. All right, we're getting ready, so lift up your Bible. Last time I lifted up my, my uh, pad, so this time we're going to lift up the book, okay? <laughs> So uh, whether you have it in written or electronic form, you know I say this a lot, the Word of God does not need to be up here in our heads. The Word of God needs to be down here in our hearts where it belongs and takes root and, and uh, there the Spirit of God causes it to grow. Amen? This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Praise the Lord. Convinced living water changes everything one life at a time. Praise the Lord. Well, today we are going to be looking at a uh, just an interesting passage of Scripture. What I've entitled today's message is uh, The Miracles of Jesus Up 
close and personal. Now, you've heard me talk about throughout this series on Jesus' miracles that truly the greatest miracle God ever performs on the face of this earth in the hearts and lives of people is what? Salvation. Salvation is the greatest eternal miracle that you will ever experience. Now, I will tell you, especially us in our country, and we are blessed. I love our country. I love uh, the United States, but sometimes our blessings have become uh, our, our tripping point. We become so obsessed with everything now, here, and in this life, we have a tendency to forget. It is oftentimes those things that we cannot put our hands on that are the best things God's given us. It is often those things that we can't grasp with our physical that we only have in the spiritual that are the greatest of all. And so I say to you, salvation is the greatest eternal gift you will ever receive. And so uh, this passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus talking with Peter does a miracle but in the midst of that, he very clearly implies something to Peter that I think when you look at the entirety of Scripture, and we're going to look at some of those verses, you realize what Jesus is saying, and it will be a good reminder even for us who have been saved and are walking with Jesus for years that truly we have been blessed with the greatest thing that we ever could receive from the Lord, and that is salvation. That is his great, incredible salvation. The Apostle Paul continues talking about it over and over and over again. We were talking on Wednesday night how interesting it is that Paul begins uh, being converted from Saul to Paul talking about how he is a sinner, and by the end of his life, he says, no, I'm the chief, the top of the list sinners. If there was someone who was president of the sinning corporation, it was Paul. Okay? So, and I think if we truly get a grasp of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that that's truly the attitude that we take on. As we continue to be with Jesus, it's the attitude of, Lord, I not only realize that I was a wretched person when I came to you, I realize now today that I've walked with you that I was in desperately much more in need than when I first recognized him. Because all of us are sinners saved by grace even after, hallelujah. Remember, he saved us by purchasing us over our lifetime. He didn't just say, well, I'll forgive those sins you've committed, but boy, you better be good. None of us are good. He purchased us. He looked at your life and he said, paid in full. And because of that, it can turn you loose to serve God with all your heart. Praise the Lord. He's a great, mighty Savior. So 
So as we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, this is where Jesus provides the miracle catch, the coin in the fish, in the mouth of the fish. And it's a great passage of Scripture. Let's read it together as we talk about Jesus up close and personal. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, Yes. When, they came, when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from? Their sons or from strangers? And upon saying... Uh, And upon his saying from strangers, Jesus said to him, Jesus answered his own question without Peter talking. Consequently, the sons are exempt. But lest we give them offense, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a satyr that take it and give it to them for you and me. By the way, that uh, if you're wondering what that is, you've never heard of it. It is a uh, form of currency they had back then that was for drachma. Okay, just like we have different currencies that represent things. That's what that was. And that's why he said, go grab that. It's for drachma. And that's why Jesus says it will pay not only for you, but for me as well. What an incredible passage of Scripture. But truly, we need to understand that when salvation comes, and remember, everything Jesus is doing is getting us to open our eyes to the eternal. Yes, God does incredible, miraculous miracles and even today does them. But he does them for his glory, under his timing, under his schedule, and when it best accomplishes his kingdom for eternity. He's focused on eternity and we so oftentimes are focused on this temporal world. Now, as we look at this, uh, Jesus, again, in starting this passage of Scripture out, says, uh, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth, in verse number 25, uh, collect customs or pull tax? He's talking about the earthly kings and the earthly uh, rulers and what they do. But, and Point number one is God's kingdom and position is over everything. And we need to understand this. When Jesus talks about the kings of the earth and their authority and power, it is good for us to remember his authority and power. Remember, yes, Jesus came as a babe. He came, Emmanuel, the Old Testament says, God with us. Understand, read it in the scripture, in Genesis, the very first verse. It says, uh, in the beginning, God. Again, God doesn't ask us whether he thinks we believe in him or not. Okay, He just says. And then it says, let us make man in our image. Talking about 
something that we struggle with. The Trinity, the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we understand from this that Jesus wasn't just now uh, around since he was born in the flesh into this world. You understand that? Jesus existed with God from the beginning, and by the way, there is no beginning to God. So we have to understand this. God declares in Isaiah 66, 1, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So when Jesus is talking about these earthly kings and how they have power, and by the way, the scripture, and you write all these scriptures down, and I encourage you again, please take notes because you'll be blessed by the other scriptures that we don't have time to go over. But in the scripture, God makes it clear that all authority, every authority has been allowed to be there by God. Now, we sometimes understand that doesn't mean that every authority is godly, nor does it mean every authority is blessed by God. It simply means even those that are in power for wrong reasons are in the hands of God. <laughs> there is nothing out of the hands of God. God is in control of it all. Hallelujah. And so he says in Proverbs that he has the heart of the king in his hand and he directs it like a water course. He, he directs it where he wants it to go. And so when Jesus looks at uh, these that are collecting the tax, understand that Jesus understands that he was with the Father before being born a babe. And that his existence was not dependent on his birth, neither is his existence dependent on anything he did while here. He is the eternal God. In fact, when he was answering the Pharisees in the book of John, when they asked him about uh, who he was and and he said, uh, they said, you're claiming that you know Abraham and you are not yet even 50 years old. What did Jesus say to them? He said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham, and he uses a word that is not by mistake. He says, before Abraham, I am. Praise the Lord that God's kingdom and position is not a temporary thing. Please understand, when Jesus came to establish his kingdom on earth, that was the spiritual kingdom he was establishing in us. It wasn't that he had no authority on earth and had to do something different. He was coming because he loved you and me. Hallelujah. He was coming to a accomplish the purpose of God because we had been uh, brought into a different relationship because of sin and God was getting ready to win it all back. Praise the Lord. Praise his mighty name. Uh, 
Psalm 147, 4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says he, he knows the numbers of the stars. And then it doesn't stop there. And then it says, and calls them each by name. Now you think about that. You think about how many stars. They, they still don't have a number because just when they think they've built a telescope big enough to look out into space, they find another galaxy that they never knew existed. Because when God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he says, by the way, in Isaiah, that there is no God before him, nor will there be any God after him. And he says, I have always been. Now, I know for our finite brains, we can't comprehend it. Because everything that we deal with in our sphere comes to, has a beginning and has an end. Everything, whether it be a person, a place, a government, everything has a beginning and an end. But for God, he's always been. Always been. So when they build a new telescope and, and uh, everybody for a while was getting, oh, you know, uh, maybe they're going to be able to look and see where God is. I'm like, really? I mean, God is so much more immense than we can even comprehend. There is no telescope that you will get that will see the end of where he is. He is in the position and his kingdom is over all. Then, of course, we have the one Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, where it talks about that on Jesus, the, he was going to place his government and that there would be no end to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But really, if you ever wondered whether really Jesus is God, one of the greatest scriptures you can go to is John chapter 1, the gospel of John, verses 1 through 3. And this is why uh, uh, people that are of liberal theologian, uh, those that are of liberal theology or their study of God is, I even hate to use the term, uh, because truly what they try to do is put God in a box. They try to say, okay, I can't understand that God has no beginning or end, so I'm going to make him be what I want him to be. As if we can do that with God. And so, but in that, this is why these uh, theologians really of all of the, and I'm talking about ones that, that are trying to take away like the deity of Christ. And do you know that there are some schools of thought where they're saying now the resurrection was just a spiritual grasping of what God did instead that, that there was no physical resurrection of Christ? And as Paul said, if there was no resurrection, then we're to be pitied. There was and there is a resurrection. There are scars in the hands of Jesus in his glorified body. When he sits and where he sits at the right hand of God right now, waiting 
for his enemies to be made his footstool. Hallelujah. But in that passage there, uh, it says in verse 3, everything that you see that is in existence was spoken into existence by him. So when it says, let us make man in our image, understand Jesus was right there with the Father, and so was the Holy Spirit. They all three were working together as they always do and have and will forever. Hallelujah. So God's kingdom and his position is over everything. We need not worry whether what technology may come. We need not worry what great uh, weapons or whatever we have that, that somehow God will get out of control of things. <laughs> I have to laugh even when I say it. Because truly, God is so massively immense. It, it must just make him chuckle like a little two, three-year-old child saying that he would pin his daddy in a wrestling match. It's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. Praise the Lord. But here's the awesome thing as we look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus asks Peter this question, but it says here in verse number 26, and upon his saying from strangers, so Jesus answered the own que his own question, that the kings of the earth obviously don't collect the tax from their own sons. Okay, they, they collect it from those that are outside the family. And then he says, excuse me, consequently the sons are exempt. Then look at what he implies in verse 27. But lest we give them an offense, Jesus was saying, I know, Peter, you and I are different than what this is all about with the kings collecting tax, but so we don't give them offense, go and do this. And then he says, consequently, sons are exempt. Notice he didn't say, consequently, the son is exempt. Now, I am not saying, and Jesus was not saying, because very clearly, and there are scriptures in this in Romans, that, that Jesus says you are to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's. Please understand, if you're, if you're in the United States or any other place and you are required to give a tax, if you're cheating them of that and expecting God to bless you, that's not scriptural. quiet, but it's good teaching, <laughs> okay? We sometimes feel like, well, you know, they're the government. I don't need to, to do that. Well, God says you need to support them. God says they're there for a reason, and he's established them. So that's not what Jesus was implying here, but he does make an impl uh, and he does imply that Peter is more than just his earthly existence, by the way, I, I do have a verse here uh, for point number one uh, before I move to point two. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a 
uh, skilled psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And then John 18, 36 through 37. This is an interesting passage of scripture because people have used this scripture to say, well, see, uh, Jesus really uh, uh, didn't have much of a kingdom. What Jesus, again, was doing is saying that I've come for the purpose of salvation. And so because he did that, when Pilate stuck his finger in his face and was asking him questions, he said, look, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But you realize also, he told his disciples, don't you realize I could call 10 legions of angels and they would deliver me from this? But the Father's plan has to be carried out. See, Jesus was there on a mission. By the way, we're on a mission. And what I'm hoping you will see in what uh, Jesus is relaying to Peter is that our mindset needs to change as Christians. We need to understand, first as we've talked about, that God's kingdom is different and that God is over it all. And understand that you have a Father that is above it all. Praise the Lord. Then the second thing is Jesus includes Peter as a son. And you say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, then I will tell you this. The, Jesus clearly implies it. And if you look at Scripture, Scripture very clearly teaches that you are a son and daughter of God. When you receive him, it says from earthly, you go from an earthly son. All of us have earthly fathers. But when we are his, he becomes our heavenly father. We take on new, uh, it's being adopted. In fact, the scripture talks about adoption. Write all those scriptures down and understand that God does not see you as just anybody. He sees you as sons and daughters of God. And so although we render unto Caesars what is the Caesars now, we really need to understand that this is not our kingdom. Do you hear me? So many I see are struggling thinking that this is all there is to life. We are only passing through. You are a child of the king. You have sonship in his name. And because of that, your kingdom also is not of this world. It belongs with Christ, where the Bible says you will rule and reign with him. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness that we are God's children. When you become his, everything changes. When you become his, 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what great love God has lavished. That means, that means to 
to spill out all over. Not, not to, to use uh, uh, stingy, but God just poured it out all over you. That you should be called the children of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so truly we need to understand that it goes from a earthly son to a heavenly son. Now as Jesus says, you know, what do you think, uh, Peter? But sons are excluded, aren't they? And then he says, but so that we don't give them offense, you go ahead and pay the tax. He was making a spiritual point. He was making a spiritual point. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is the one who allows us to become sons. And that's what Jesus was doing. Understand everything he did. Remember, I've talked about in all these great miracles he did. And we're, we're going to talk about Jesus uh, pulling the, the money out of the fish, which was a miraculous thing. But all those things was always to point us to the kingdom. It was always to point us to God's plan. And even when he heals today, it is for the kingdom of God, for the purposes of God, for God's working. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go on then to verse number three, or to, to the last verse there, 27 and point three. But lest we give them offense, go to the sea and throw in a hook. Take the first fish that comes up. You know, when Jesus, Jesus is, has been walking with the disciples for quite some time. When he talked about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 is where it starts, and Matthew 6 uh, is the verse I've referenced here. Matthew 6, 32 and 33 is where uh, Jesus says, look, the Father knows you have need of all of these things. Food, shelter, all of this. God knows every need you have. He knows them all. And then he says something in 33, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. Understand that here, Peter was with Jesus doing the work, being with the king of kings, not just an earthly king. And he was following after Jesus. The tax came, and guess what? God says, I got you covered. I got you covered. Now, I believe there's something significant in the fact that it's the first fish and not some random chance you just keep fishing till you pull up a coin. This again is the miraculous miracle here. 
Jesus was very specific. He said, pull out the first fish and grab it, open its mouth, and you're going to find the money you need. God was very specific. Now, I don't know whether Peter, being a fisherman, stayed a little longer and pulled a few more. <laughs> Doesn't say that, but I'm just saying. I, maybe because Jesus said to him, pull the first fish, maybe Jesus knew that he was going to spend some more time fishing. <laughs> Hear what I'm saying? But the fact is, is Jesus said, take the first fish you come up with, open his mouth, and there you're going to find the miracle you need to pay your tax. God's not going to be on the short end of the stick. Do you hear me? I will, I will say this too. God will be no man's debtor. Now, I know that in our country blessed and and hear the heart of please understand god has also it's his pleasure to have those that have much and those that have enough to get by you can argue you can be disgruntled with god it's not going to do you any good the fact is god says he's given some the 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 ability to create wealth be okay with that do you hear me and, and uh, we, we truly do, but, but here's the point. God knows what you have need of. What I find is that we oftentimes will get into trouble between what we need and what we are running after. See, Jesus in this chapter 6 says, the, the ones who don't know God run after these things. Don't do that. Jesus says, don't be so driven to have to make one more dollar, one more this, one more that, bigger this, bigger that. If God has blessed you, praise the Lord. But it shouldn't drive you. The only thing that drives us should be the Lord. By the way, this scripture does not take away from working and being productive. It doesn't mean, oh, well, if I become a Christian, then I can just rub the magic lamp and say, God, I need my taxes. I know I haven't worked, but the scripture very clearly says that the man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. Wow, I'm really being politically incorrect today, I know. But that's what the scripture says, that a man that isn't willing to work shouldn't eat. Okay, it also says that, uh, that we shouldn't be lazy, but that we need to be productive with our hands using the gifts and talents God's given us. Now, everyone's got a different gift and talent. By the way, Paul was a tent maker. And did that, so that's not. To, it's not to say that that uh, Jesus was saying that it's okay just to sit around and wait for Him to provide. But it does say that God will be your provider. In the gifts and the talents that He's given you, 
he will use to provide everything you need. You will not lack for anything. And even when you're in need in a pinch, God can do a miracle where others can't. You understand what I'm saying? I've experienced it in my own life. So I'm not saying you have to work everything out on paper. Because if you try to do that, watch God laugh. As soon as you feel like you've got it worked out on paper, God knows that you're, you're expecting that your own hand is going to provide for you. And when you do that, watch God laugh. God will put you in a, a position where you have to call on him. God will put you in a position where you say, God, I've done everything I can and I'm short. God says, great, I've got it. Because God knows what you, and do you notice I put quotes on you? I want to talk about that a minute. Sometimes it's very easy in Scripture to read it for someone else and believe it for someone else. Isn't it? I, I speak this of my own self. Sometimes it's easier in my flesh for me to believe it for someone else, some other person that is in need, than it is for me. But when Jesus said, God knows what you have need, put your name there. Insert your name. God knows what you have need of. Whether it's tax, whether it's healing, whether it's whatever. God knows. He knows. Hallelujah. Philippians 4, 19 and 20 says this, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, when he was writing this in Philippians chapter 4, said in just a few uh, verses prior to this, he said, look, I'm, I'm not writing this so that you'll give me a gift. He said, I've learned what it is to be content. He said, I know what it is in life to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in need. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do it all through him. So when he wrote this, he's saying, God will supply everything you need. Praise the Lord. But I think it's very important for us, number one, to realize the miracles of Jesus, they first always point us to the kingdom. And here in this passage of Scripture, the fact that Jesus would be so up close and personal with Peter that he would reveal, Peter, you're not just someone, you're a son. Peter, you're, you're not just anyone. God knows what you have need of. And God knows what you do too. So this perspective, last as we get ready to talk about closing, what I want us to really see, if you're here and you've walked with the Lord for years and years and years, 
I think it's important for us at times to take a pause and understand that God is really in control of everything. There is nothing out of his control and that God is just waiting. You say, well, for what? For one more person to possibly come to Jesus. That's why he's waiting. The scripture says that's what it is. That God's not forgotten or slow regarding his return. He's waiting for the absolute most to come. Only he knows that time. But then in the meantime, I think it's important for us, the church, the sons and daughters of God, to recognize you are a child of God. You do not belong to this world. You're only passing through. Your eternity is with him. You're going to rule and reign with him. And that God knows everything you need, including those things in this lifetime. God knows, and you put him first, you let him use your gifts and talents, you put him first, God will not be on the short end of the stick. He will provide everything, and he will bless you exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or imagine. That's how big God is. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because Jesus also says, if you knowing how to give good gifts to your children and you're evil, that's what he says. If you who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more is your perfect heavenly father whom there's no sin, he's perfect in all he does, how much more does he love you? Does he know? Does he give him joy to give you not just what you need, but exceedingly abundantly? He wants to bless you. You're his children. Praise the Lord. What an incredible passage. Jesus, the miracles up close and personal. He knows you by name. When it says you insert your name there. Insert your name because God's got truly your picture on his refrigerator. Bow your head with me this morning. going to give a call for anyone who may be here that needs to give their heart to the Lord because I just do it when I preach the word I, I can't let a time be I don't ever want to be before the Lord and have him say why didn't you ask so I'm going to ask is there anyone here you would say Pastor Brian I don't know I don't know if I've received Jesus into my heart. I, I don't ever remember a time where I purposely asked God to forgive me and that I confessed him as my savior. If you've never done that and you would like to, you feel the Lord drawing you, you feel his spirit talking to you. 
you can settle the question and be done and know you're a child of the king. If you're here and that's something you'd like to do, would you slip your hand up and say yes? Pastor Brian, I want to receive Jesus this morning. Just slip your hand up. Anyone here? Okay. Then I'm going to ask another question. You hear and you say, Pastor Brian, it's good that I'm reminded this morning that my name is truly there in the scripture when God says, my God shall supply all your needs. And that my picture is not somewhere shoved in a drawer with a billion others, but God is acutely aware of my face and my circumstances. Anybody here says, I am thankful for the Lord to give me that blessing of knowing that today. Would you slip your hand up? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you that, Lord, you know each and every one of us. And, God, you are the incredible, awesome, miracle-working God of salvation. Lord, we praise you. There is nothing too difficult for you. You are the God of the incredible and the miraculous. And, Lord, you will see to it that your children are taken care of. Because, Lord, the psalmist writes it best when he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Lord, I praise your holy name and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, Northlake? Now we're getting ready. I know it's summer. I know vacations. And we, by the way, have a bunch of people that are at camp. Jill and I came home last night before the rain, praise the Lord. <laughs> they blamed it on us 